Script Pipeline reviews screenplays and TV pilots to connect writers with Hollywood's top producers and managers. For over 20 years, the company has helped launch the writing careers of some of the industry's brightest talent, resulting in spec sales totaling over $7 million. Learn more at scriptpipeline.com. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to talk about cold contacting people, from formulating queries for your scripts to the proper etiquette for reaching out. How should you go about contacting people who do not know you? But first, before we start, as you may know, we started our Patreon a few weeks ago with a ton of amazing bonus content like practical TV writing cheat sheets and extra episodes that you won't be able to find here on our regular feed. Absolutely. And after only a few weeks, we've already reached our first goal. So congratulations to us. Hooray. <laughs> no, it's, it's very exciting. It's, it's awesome that we're kicking goals already. Absolutely. And, and the goal was that if we reached a certain amount of money, then we could uh, confirm that we would be doing at least two live events this year. So we can confirm that we will be doing at least two live events in 2019. Absolutely. And we've already had our mixer, but hopefully we're going to be doing live panels and such again later. So tune in for more information about that later in the year. So we we wanted to give a special shout out to all of our new patrons and awesome supporters who helped us reach that goal. Like Alyssa, Angel, Claire, Claudio, Dallas, Daniel, Diana, Eric, James, Julie, Latoya, Lexi, Lindsay, Liz, Lorraine, and Paul. Thank you so much for contributing to our Paper Team Patreon campaign. Absolutely. It's overwhelming the amount of support that we've seen already. And it's really nice to be connected even more closely with our listeners and be able to give them more stuff for their dollar. (laughs) And as we record this episode, we're very close to our second goal. uh, So we would love it if you could join us and reach it. So if you'd like to join our Patreon, you'll get awesome content like the cheat sheets, the bonus episodes, our exclusive paper patron podcast, and an amazing shout out like we just did. Uh, You can go to paperteam.co slash Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and support us for as low as $2 a month. All right, and now on to cold contact. So this is actually a follow-up to our PT05 Networking 101 episode, which was about 116 episodes ago. Do you remember oh that time? <laughs> <laughs> that would be well over two years now. Yeah. Well, so long, long ago, uh, we explained how to meet people in Hollywood. But this episode is going to cover what to do when you're reaching out to people completely out of the blue with no introduction, uh, whether it be agents, managers, producers, TV writers, or executives. There is an art to following up with people you've already met, but there is an even finer art to doing it when no one is expecting your call or email or knows who the hell you are. It's basically the Batman experiment. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get right to it. And let's talk about ways of contacting people cold. So let's start with email. Now, this is the preferred method of cold query. It's the perfect balance of convenient and compartmentalized. So busy assistants can look at it when they get time and prioritize what's in their inbox. It's also easily affordable, say to their bosses or other assistants or interns who might be doing coverage, and they have a direct way to reply to you. So if you're lucky, it's a place to maybe keep the script that you sent them as an attachment all in one place. And if you think about it, email is really the last form of contact that is both private and 
enough, but also accessible to the masses. All the other forms of communications aren't as personal or are too private. So it's worth noting that more and more people are also moving to chatroom type services internally in their companies, leaving a lot of that workload done by emails behind in favor of things like Slack or Discord. But of course, email will still be around in a few years, but it is still interesting to look at that shift in uh, communication in the near future. But the best thing about email, uh, for my money, is that it is a true direct message to the person you're contacting, at least assuming you get the right email. (laughs) Right. And it makes things as easy as possible for them to help you. So we really do recommend email first and foremost. But what if I want to be a contrarian? What's another way of (laughs) contacting people cold? So I think the other thing that probably comes to people's mind when reaching out cold is cold calls over the phone. Now, I want to say generally you shouldn't do this. If you do, it should be incredibly brief and probably only to ask for contact information like an email from the receptionist or the assistant. These people are very busy. They're unlikely to indulge you even in that. But if they do, it will most likely be the most generic info at email or some other filter through which these cold emails and queries can come. They're probably not going to give you their personal email, work email, and they're especially not going to give you their boss's email if you just called up out of nowhere being someone that they don't know. So don't insist on getting either of those. Whatever they give you is what you get. People will see your email. They just don't want a stranger to have a very direct method through which to potentially harass them. You know, who knows? You might be crazy. Right. In terms of the phone of it all, this kind of ties back to the way people communicate. 30 years ago, most people would call call for that initial contact, but now it's all online and mostly text-based. You know, think about the way you use your own phone. Most people use their phone to text, not really to call. Think about telemarketers trying to reach you to sell something over the phone. It's obnoxious and it feels very invasive. So that's the way you're being perceived if you use a phone to contact someone who doesn't know you're contacting them. A phone call, it makes you react to it immediately. It takes up your time if you're in the middle of something. It's definitely going to put people in a worse position than if they just had the time to get back to it when they're ready. Now, if you do call, you especially don't want to follow up via the phone constantly, calling to see if they've read your script or seen your email. You may have heard stories about being persistent. Uh, It works and thinking that calling will make you stand out from everyone else who's only sent an email. But in fact, it may make the assistant want to delete your email out of spite for harassing them when they're trying to work and taking time out of their day. I would say if you have to call, only ever call once. Everything else will be via email. Mm, That's exactly why Nick's phone number is blacklisted on my phone, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, have you read my script yet? (laughs) No, I won't ever. (laughs) All right, moving on to social media. Let's talk about 21st century ways of communication. So, Out of all the social media, Twitter is perhaps the most socially acceptable of these platforms to reach out to someone cold on. You can tweet at them, or you can perhaps DM them if that's open, without significantly invading their privacy. It's more or less a public platform. Right, and to that point, Twitter is arguably one of the best platforms to cold contact someone because of those two factors. One, it is meant to be a conversation-driven platform. Even though there are limited characters in a tweet, the way people use Twitter now has evolved to such an extent that threads and actual discussions are happening. It's not just people posting photos of their lunch, you know, so you can join those conversations and become known through them, which lessens that cold approach. And to the other point, Twitter is public. There's a bit of a social pressure to behave properly when anyone can see what you're writing. Obviously, in practice, that doesn't always happen. See politics, but it is much more transparent than some weird email that someone sends you. 
It's also kind of easy to block someone on Twitter if they are harassing you. So that's another a plus for that platform. But yeah, I myself have reached out to a number of working writers and ended up getting coffees and drinks and such with those people just through Twitter and having mutually followed each other and, and engaged with each other on that platform. So it's it's definitely one of the better ones to go through. Classic Nick sliding into people's DMs all the time. <laughs> all right, what about Facebook? So I think if you're trying to reach out to someone cold through Facebook, you're entering stalker territory, especially sending someone a friend request for the sole purpose of soliciting yourself as a writer and your work is a big no-no, even if you have mutual friends. you know, And even sending a Facebook message to someone who's not your friend is kind of in that uncomfortable territory. Most people's Facebooks are made to be private and personal with their actual friends. Right. And I think we all have those horror stories of people trying to friend us or contact us because they need something. You should not be that guy or gal. And we shouldn't be emphasizing this still, to be honest, but unfortunately we have to. So respect people's privacy unlike the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> right. And it's one thing to reach out wanting to genuinely form some sort of relationship or just be in contact with someone. But if you're reaching out directly to like promote yourself and to be like, read my script, that's just instantaneous. I'm never going to talk to you again kind of territory. Yeah. And even the platform itself filters those messages out. So don't think that just because you sent a DM, that person is going to read it because uh, Facebook now has changed the way a uh, Facebook messenger works, where if you get sent a DM or I guess a message from someone who you are not friends with or not even in a group with, then that message is going to go to a separate folder. So be aware of that. Mm -hmm. Another one you might be thinking about is LinkedIn. I guess my question would be, does anyone actually use LinkedIn uh, for anything other than maybe applying for jobs? Um, How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> Most likely, no one wants to be solicited by writers or other creatives on their LinkedIn profiles either. <laughs> maybe if you work together on a project, you can they can endorse you as a writer, but that's about it. Yeah, I feel like unless you're in a, a corporate office, most people in creative capacities do not use LinkedIn because it's a very business-oriented platform. It's not really something for creatives. If they have it up there, it's probably just to have their resume online somewhere and to be able to apply through certain job portals. Uh, how about Instagram, Alex? Well, Instagram to me is a big, your mileage may vary case. A lot of people now see that platform in the same way as a lot of other people see Twitter. It is that open social media platform to share content. The one major distinction between Instagram and Twitter is that Instagram actually has that open DM access. So you can actually slide into someone's DM without being their friend in the first place, unlike Twitter. And that is that huge responsibility and something that should be respected and valued. So it can easily veer into that Facebook stalker category. So I would not really advise anyone slide into people's DMs unwarranted because you don't want to be that creep. Right. And then there's a distinction too between private Instagram profiles and public ones. If it's private and you have to request access, that might be an indication that perhaps this is just someone sharing their personal photos of their friends and family and holidays and things like that. And they don't want to be reached out to in that way. Another way I think most people match with people is through dating apps. I think we <laughs> swipe right for a valuable connection in this industry. Yes. As far as I'm aware, there is no networking dating app for Hollywood. So, you know, definitely don't be hitting people up on Snapchat or Tinder or Bumble about reading your script or getting a meeting. Use those apps for what they're intended for. Mm, uh, and what is that? <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> All right, let's move outside the social media. Don't send any here. script picks to okay. people. <laughs> script picks. <laughs> let's talk about physical letters and submissions. Speaking of uh, submissions, what are your thoughts on those? So 
first and foremost, don't attach scripts or any other sort of material unsolicited. Don't send USBs, don't send CDs, DVDs, floppy disks, whatever. Floppy um, disks? What? <laughs> Like, just do not send any sort of physical thing that people have not asked for. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this episode is going off the rails pretty fast. <laughs> now, on the matter of letters, in my personal opinion, letters don't offer this personal touch that they may have once done. To me, they almost indicate that you're out of touch or kind of desperate to get your stuff out there in some way. And speaking from experience, they just end up in the trash. At least with an email, someone can store it away and circle back to it and search it up while it takes up zero physical space. A letter just means that even if someone was interested, they would have to go to the trouble of transcribing all of your information and contact details and then replying through one of those methods anyway. No one's going to sit there and handwrite a letter and send it back to you asking for your script. Yeah, exactly. This is in the Victorian era. We're in 2019. And this actually goes to the research portion of this episode, which we'll get into later. Uh, but most places will point blank throw away any physical package that they receive, whether it's for security reasons or intellectual property reasons. So if you're that desperate that you're actually sending a physical letter, make sure it is worth the trouble and that you are addressing it to someone who will legitimately be reading that content. And for the love of God, please never, ever, ever under any circumstances send glitter. Well, there goes my plan. <laughs> and the last method of cold contacting people would be in person. And so I want to say about this, please never show up at an agency or a management company or studio or network, whatever it is, asking to see someone without an appointment. Don't try to hand them your script or your resume. Don't give that to the receptionist to pass along because you're just going to become the latest story that gets circulated around the secret industry boards and whatever about some crazy guy or gal who showed up and wouldn't leave until someone saw them. That may have worked for the good old boys in the 70s and 80s or something, but today it will get you blacklisted and or arrested. Yeah, and also this isn't a rom-com on Hallmark. You know, you can't <laughs> just show up and fall in love with that executive. That's not really how life works. Exactly. It's, it's a very quick way to get yourself painted as someone they never want to hear from again. So now that we've covered the various methods by which you might call to contact someone, let's take a look at how people might be perceiving someone who is reaching out to them and how to best position yourself in that regard. Yeah. And so before we get too into the weeds of how to formulate that query letter, it's important to take a step back and contextualize how people are perceiving you and perceiving that contact in the first place. So if you think about it, Cold contacting is a bit like being a door-to-door -door salesman. They're not expecting that interaction, and so you just show up at their door unannounced, figuratively, hopefully, and a certain percentage of those people are going to open the door, meaning your email, and an even smaller percentage are going to engage to that email, and even a fraction of those people will read, much less respond to you. So what does that mean for you? Well, it means that you need to target and be very specific so that your contact is relevant to them. So it behooves you to put your best foot forward when you're contacting and when you're creating that letter. So first of all, make sure you're sending to places that are looking for content or people like you. So for example, Netflix doesn't have an open submission policy, neither does CA. So you got to do your research. Yeah, I've seen lists circulate on writing forums, etc., of companies that accept cold queries and open submissions. And I'm going to be honest, very few companies openly invite these things, especially non-agencies. Many state that for legal reasons, they simply can't even look at your submissions for fear of you suing them if they ever do anything similar. Hence those waivers that people will have you sign if they ever do read your script. Now, you're going to have the most luck with boutique management companies and smaller production companies. I know when we had Daniela on from Circle of Confusion, 
mentioned back in PT59, she mentioned that they did accept cold queries. And I do know that there are some companies who have, say, interns dedicated to logging cold submissions and working their way through them if they sound interesting. However, more often than not, these companies on these lists that accept open submissions are just companies who haven't actively and loudly said no to cold submissions. It doesn't mean they're sitting around all day desperately waiting for them to roll in. So you need to make sure that when you do it, you do it right in order to get their attention. Right. So let's say you write this amazing police-focused action-heavy drama with that very specific sense of humor that only you can do it. And let's say you're also looking for a rep. Find out which niche you're filling and figure out who is genuinely looking for someone like you or projects like the one you're pitching. There are a ton of resources out here, like Nick mentioned, admittedly mostly for features, but with companies looking for materials or clients. So you can't really control if someone is going to respond to you, but you can definitely control who you are sending it out to. And the more specific you are, the better. It's easy to tell when someone's blasting out a carbon copy query template to 300 companies on a BCC. Now, if you take the time to personally tailor it to say maybe your 20 best shots or whatever it happens to be, you're going to have a better chance of getting a response than 200 random shots in the dark. Insert here Hamilton reference about shots. (laughs) (laughs) On a similar train of thought, if you've laser targeted enough that you know which person at which company you're sending yourself to, make sure you're sending it to that person. If you're trying to contact a specific manager, then it is important that you get the right person to either forward your ask or land on the correct desk. Otherwise, they'll just get lost in the backlog and never be read. You can address it, even if you're sending it to a general info email, you might address it to attention, Diane Adams, or attention, Kevin Chan. You know, at least there's a chance someone will forward it onto that person directly and see if they want to respond. But make sure it's actually personalized in some way to that person, meaning, you know, you're going to mention how you admire one of their clients or a project that they produced. You can't just slap their name in the two line for no reason at all. All right, so let's get down to the nitty gritty and talk about the fabled query letter. First up, do they even work and should people bother? Well, I'll go on the record and say that query letters usually rarely work outside of just that initial read. However, with that said, part of that I feel is because those query letters are shot at everyone instead of being that laser focused contact that you need to have. Your contact needs to be specific and targeted. So if you're a vegan and someone approaches you about the new beef burgers, there's no real common fit between you two. But let's say you love meat, but you're also conscious about your environment impact and are trying to diminish the amount of meat that you consume. But then someone approaches you about a brand new burger that tastes exactly like meat, but is made without killing a cow. So your curiosity is piqued and you might try their sample. So it's basically the same thing with your career letter and who you're sending it to, only the consumer is the person or company you're contacting, and the burger is you or the script. Mmm, delicious. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, cold queries can work, at least to get read, if nothing else. But it's maybe one in a hundred chance of someone even replying, let alone requesting your thing. Most unsolicited queries will go to spam filters or get ignored for legal or practical reasons. But If everything goes right, here's the chain of events that have to happen at, say, a literary rep's office, like manager or an agent. Strap yourselves in. (laughs) All right. So number one, someone likes your query letter or log lines. Number two, they, most likely an assistant or an intern, will request your material. Number three, you'll fill out a submission release waiver, which is totally standard. That question comes up all the time. It's fine to sign it. Number four, then they will actually have to read it and like it. Number five, then they're probably going to ask you for another sample. 
Then number six, they will have to like that as well. Number seven, then they have to pass that sample onto someone else, perhaps a little further up the chain. Number eight, that person also has to read and like your work. Number nine, if that person isn't their boss or an agent or manager themselves, then now with that second opinion, they can approach that decision maker. And number 10, they have to read your stuff and like it. Number 11, maybe then they'll consider bringing you in for a face-to-face meeting. Number 12, you have to make a great impression and show that you're good in a room while selling yourself as a person and a writer, but in a natural, authentic way. Number 13, they then have to decide that you're at a point in your skill set in your career where you're ready to work with them. Number 14, they then have to decide that they can actually help you and find the right opportunities for you. And number 15, finally, after all of those boxes are ticked, they still have to decide that you're a good fit for their business and their current roster of clients. Wow, that's like the worst path on Bandersnatch. (laughs) (laughs) So you can see that there's a good reason why most reps will get their material through referrals from people that they trust rather than these cold queries. It skips a whole bunch of those steps and takes out a lot of the guesswork. Now, I briefly want to cover hip pocketing. You may have heard of this term before, and it's essentially when a rep or perhaps an assistant or coordinator on a desk is kind of representing you, but not really. It's not quite official. So this often happens when maybe after that whole process, they're still not quite convinced. You know, maybe a rep recognizes your potential, but they're not really ready to pull the trigger on actively representing you just yet. Hippocketing could take a number of forms. It could be a casual keep in touch and send me more material when you finish your next script, all the way to them sending out scripts of yours to places and trying to get you meetings and seeing what happens. Then sometimes if they get interest from that, you know, someone wants to option your script or make it or consider you for staffing, they might bite and sign you officially. But if they don't get a great response, then you're not their problem to deal with. Very often, hip pocketing will happen with people who are working their way up in the industry but don't yet have the power to officially take on clients. So they might be an assistant or a coordinator in an agency or management company. And then eventually, once they get promoted, they might bring you onto their roster. Also, if you suddenly get work, like getting staffed on a show, whether as a result of your own hustle or otherwise, usually the folks hip pocketing you will then be more than happy to sign you. They're really just waiting for someone else to believe in you or validate you first. Yeah. And to that point, unless you actually value that person and they work at, let's say, a reputable company, company, I wouldn't tread carefully with hip pocketing uh, because hip pocketing, first of all, is primarily done by agents or assistants about to become agents, less so managers, since essentially there's not the same barrier of entry to become uh, a manager. A lot of people can easily get frustrated by being hip pocketed because it seems like you're almost signed, but you're not quite there yet. But with all that said, if this assistant that you know is about to become an agent and they're already hustling for you, then you should go for it. And we covered the whole rep of it all much more in depth in our TV Rep 101 episode, which was PT31, if you want to check that out. So let's move on to the content of a query letter. We're sitting down at our emails and we're about to send something out. What should we put in there? Well, let me put on my little marketing hat. Uh, It's pretty fashionable. Can you see it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll also echo while under my marketing hat, something that I mentioned long ago in our pitch document episode about the idea of framing your message. Uh, Essentially, you need to sell yourself. So let's role play for a second and say, I'm a busy manager at Paper Co. I'm looking for new up and coming writers, but I'm not quite finding the right person. But thankfully, Nick, you're here. I'm here. You just won these three amazing competitions. You have the kinds of stories that no one else can bring to the table because of your specific 
background. And on top of your well-received samples, you're already working on other scripts that perfectly fit the mold of our paper co-management company. You've been listening to our TED Talks and you've been to all our AFF panels and you're a fan of all of our shows. I know, I'm pretty great, huh? Oh, classic Nick, always doing his research. And as I read your message, I realize all of that. And I say to myself, wow, this person knows what we're looking for better than we do. Hook, line, sinker. So that's how you need to frame your story and your content. It's about what we need and how you can fill that void. It's a bit like a job interview where they're looking for the right person for the right spot. That's how you should think of the query letter as. Absolutely. And I think that there's this notion in people's heads that assistants and other folks in the industry are sitting around as gatekeepers and they enjoy the process of keeping people out of the industry. But that's not the case at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. They are looking and hoping for some brilliant young rising talent to show up with the best script they've ever read so they can put that on their boss's desk or they can go get that made and that will help their career. So if your stuff is good enough and you sell yourself in a good enough way, the opportunities are there. As for the content of a query email, as someone who once worked for a literary management and production company, I would read queries on occasion. And the ones that I found the most compelling were always concise and to the point. They highlighted why the writer was interesting or unique. They had killer log lines for maybe two or three samples. And they were respectful, professional, and not cheesy or gimmicky. Now, that said, if it's done well, showing some of your voice or humor in these letters can still be effective. And importantly, they did not just attach their scripts and send them off. Uh, Start with those log lines. If someone likes something, they will ask to read it. Yes. If you're attaching scripts and uh, PDFs to that initial email, it's akin to asking for that huge ask in the first place without building uh, some common ground. So that's a big no-no. Now, on the subject of titles in an email, what are your thoughts on how you should actually title a query letter, Alex? Well, I feel like it ties back to what we've been saying about it being personal and personable. You got to title it in a way that reflects that content of that email, as well as the content of your script and who you are as a person. Yeah, there's a couple of directions you can go with it. I think like you're saying, if there's some sort of personal uh, callback or tie-in you can use to get someone's attention, then that's great. I'm also a fan of kind of being specific about the script or the project or the type of writer you are. So the title might be something like 60-minute horror thriller pilot for cable or a fellowship-winning children's animated comedy writer or something like that. I think whatever the case, just don't be generic like script query or seeking representation. <laughs> you know, in, in fact, many people actually have a filter on their email and put all the emails with the word query in them into a folder or maybe even the trash, but it's going to skip their inbox and they're probably never going to see it. So I'd avoid using the word query at all. Hack the inbox. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the etiquette of cold contact in general. This applies to sending out your letters, but also reaching out to people generally, whether you know them or not. So let's go over some of the do's and don'ts. Well, first of all, don't mention people who cannot vouch for you or connections you just do not have. So let's say you're lucky enough to get your hands on someone's contact info and you know you can make a memorable contact. Then don't waste this opportunity by name dropping people who will not be helpful to this conversation. First off, it's a small industry, so people talk. If someone, let's say someone named Rachel, came to me and said they know Nick, I'm then going to mention Rachel to Nick directly and gauge how familiar Nick is with that person? Is it an emphatic, oh my God, Rachel is fantastic. Is it more of a lukewarm? Eh, I think I met Rachel once at a mixer or worse. Is it a never heard of this Rachel before? Now, why the hell are they mentioning me if they do not know me? 
Secondly, this is meant to be an interaction about you. If you have that true connection, then you should try to go through them first before call contacting this person. But if you're not on friendly terms with them, or at least enough to ask them for that favor, then bringing them up altogether may leave a bad mark as opposed to focusing on what you're bringing to the table. And there's another thing that happens sometimes where a friend might give you someone's contact email, but they might say, well, I don't know them well enough to introduce you. So in that case, do not betray their trust and mention them anyway. They're doing you a big favor, so you should take what you can get. There's often a good reason why they don't want their name being dropped there. Maybe they didn't leave things off on great terms with X manager, or they're still waiting on a reply from Y exec, and they don't want to use up that person's attention or patience on an intro to someone else instead of following up on their pending project, for example. The other thing is to be concise and to get straight to the point. So think about what Jeff Bezos wishes he could buy more of. That is marriage. Marriage. (laughs) Ouch. No, it's actually time, believe it or not. And that's kind of why Amazon's HQ2 are located within minutes of where he lives, you know, because he's a celibate man now and all he has is time. (laughs) Oh boy, we're never getting a show on Amazon ever, Alex. (laughs) Well, okay, never mind then. But uh, the same holds true for your own time and the time of the person who's going to engage with you. So don't waste it by adding useless bits of information in your message. It all comes back to that same thing. Why should the person care? It isn't your college degree. It isn't your hobbies. It's what differentiates you from everyone else. Anything else only dilutes what you're trying to say. Another good point in terms of being concise is to never say the same thing twice. Just like in writing, make sure you're making new points in each sentence in a concise and compelling way rather than waffling on and repeating yourself. You probably want to front load the important stuff so they have the highest chance of seeing it. That said, don't skip the lead in and just be like, script. (laughs) (laughs) Script. Is that, with like 10 exclamation marks. Is that what you say when you enter every room? Script. I, I do. I should All probably right. stop. Well, by the same token, please don't mention things that seem impressive to you, like script, but aren't <laughs> impressive to anyone else. So if you're a finalist for the Nichols, by all means, highlight that success. But if you want a competition that no one has heard about, it will only appear as fluff in that email unless it means something to the reader. Another important point is not to make it weird. Yeah, I mean, it has to be said again, sadly, nobody likes a creep in this industry. So don't make weird double entendres uh, like us in this podcast. Don't joke about things that shouldn't be (laughs) joked about. Like us in this podcast. (laughs) If your material is meant to be provocative, then it should stand on its own merits. There's also no need to make it extremely personal and show your research to such a degree that the reader thinks you're a bona fide stalker. I would not bring up the fact that you looked them up on Facebook and saw that their favorite flavor of ice cream is pistachio. John, I know where you live. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think the same goes in terms of making it weird for gimmicks. Some people think that they can be grabby and bold and get people's attention, like writing a query letter in the voice of their character from the script or cutting and pasting together a serial killer ransom note or something. (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen a gimmick query letter that convinced me to respond to that person. If anything, it made me think it's more likely that they're a weirdo and I should probably avoid it altogether, even if the logline maybe sounded kind of cool. People just want to deal with normal people. And speaking of uh, being a normal person, don't seem crazy. Yeah. So there was recently a gentleman who shall remain unnamed, but he achieved some notoriety on social media for his attempts to get a meeting and land a show with Netflix. Now he did this by booking flights to LA and showing up at the Netflix building. In fact, I believe he tried both their Hollywood office and their HQ in Los Gatos. And both times he was immediately escorted off the premises by security. However, his response to that was 
this. And this is all very published on social media. And I believe he even had videos of him going into the lobby and trying to get this meeting. So this is how he responded to being kicked out of Netflix. Coming here has already got us closer to working with Netflix. I was escorted out since no meeting was scheduled, but I'm already working to make a contact to land a meeting in the next 48 hours. It's moments like this I will never forget. I told the gentleman who walked me out that I would see him again soon. I smiled and shook his hand, then walked away. This is just the beginning. You can't beat someone who never quits. So, look, I admire the optimism and the positivity and the belief in themselves, but this is still not the right way to go about doing it, like we've said. You can't just walk into someone's lobby and ask for a meeting, and then once you're escorted out by security, take that as a sign that you're closer to getting a meeting than ever. No, you're closer to going to jail because that's illegal. Yeah, I don't even know how he got on the lot there necessarily, but there are right ways to go about things. And if anything, all this shows is that you don't have an understanding of the industry and how it works. No one's going to want to sit down and hear your show pitch if you don't even know the basic etiquette of how to get meetings in the industry. Oh, behave, as Austin Powers would say. (laughs) Now, on that topic, you shouldn't also, in a query letter or cold contact, suggest or push for a meeting. That's entirely up to them. If and when they decide they like your material and that you are a writer worth meeting and not crazy, that's their call. Pushing to grab a coffee or a lunch, especially in your first email of an unsolicited query, is very pushy. When there's something to meet about and discuss, they will ask you. Right. Remember that you are already asking something by submitting that email, and that is for them to read the email and potentially even read your content. So asking them for an email is by that point the third ask, and it should be on them to do that, not on you. Uh, Again, flowing on from that, don't be entitled. Be humble. If you come out of the gates by saying you're the next big thing in Hollywood and your script will sell for millions and they'd be dumb not to sign you, no one's going to want to read you. Because even if half of that was true, you're not showcasing the kind of personality that anyone wants to work with. Quiet confidence is the key. You know, establish your credentials in a smart, concise way and allow your writing to speak for itself. That will get you much further than arrogance or thinking that you are owed something. Right. That's the whole point is you're trying to sell yourself, but you also need to be honest about it. If your content is legitimately good and you have traction, then you can leverage that traction to propel you even further. No one owes you anything. So move on to the next thing if you're not getting anything out of this cold contact. Right. And likewise, reacting badly to either not being read in a reasonable amount of time or being told that they didn't connect with your work or it wasn't right for them. And then, you know, blowing up about it. That's another huge red flag. Like, what do you expect to happen if you get angry? at them and tell them they're wrong, are they going to stop and go, oh, wait, you're right. I made a mistake. Your script was great. And we're going to sign you immediately. <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. You're only burning bridges. So take it on the chin and move on to the next one. Now, conversely, if you're going to follow up, respectfully follow up only if there's no response. Yeah, you want to follow up just enough to stay on their radar, but not so much to be annoying. If they've requested something, think about respectfully following up once every three or four weeks just so your script doesn't get lost in the pile. It might take months for them to read them, but they're probably very busy. Emailing every few days or every week is just going to get you on their crap list. And you can check out our follow-up episode. That's PTO7. We keep pimping those episodes, but they're really good. So PTO7, for more on how to properly follow up without seeming desperate or a creep. But if you send an email and haven't heard anything back in a few weeks, you can send a little message in a way of, wanted to touch base with you, etc. So that's perfectly natural as long as you're not overbearing. 
And the last important point is no means no. And this goes for all things in life, but for this as well. So you need to be able to accept when they tell you that they're not interested, or if you say haven't heard from them in six or 12 months, despite your follow-ups, asking to send another sample if they didn't like the first one, or trying to turn the no into an ongoing relationship, despite them not even liking your material is not going to work out. You really only get that one chance to blow someone away which is a good reminder that you need to make sure your material is absolutely 100% ready to go out before you start querying people and having them request it. It should have been through multiple rounds of notes and rewrites, and you should be confident that this is probably the best thing you've ever written, because just okay is not going to cut it. Even if you have a competent, decently written script, that's not going to make someone stake their reputation on putting your script on their boss's desk and vouching for you. When you're going through this cold query route, you need something undeniable. And that rejection should fuel you towards contacting the next person and pursuing your career. Don't double down on someone who doesn't want you, much like with dating. You clearly value your content and yourself. So if someone doesn't see it the same way as you do, there's no shame on moving on. All right, what are some takeaways for this episode? Number one, email is generally the best method to cold query someone. Most of the others are either outdated or too personal or private. Number two, try to tailor your approach to the companies and people that would be the best fit for you and vice versa. Make sure the content of your query is personalized and personable. Number three, keep it concise, professional, and highlight why you and your work are worth their time. And number four, have good etiquette. Don't be pushy, entitled, or act crazy. Learn when to take no for an answer and move on to the next one. And what are some resources for our listeners? So this is kind of a fun one. It's, uh, I guess, a Star Wars meme that was floating around <laughs> on the internet recently. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But someone uh, posted, I think, on Tumblr, like, oh, how do you make a cover letter? And someone posts this text from, uh, I believe, Return of the Jedi, when Luke is talking to uh, Jabba the Hutt about getting Han Solo back. And it goes like <laughs> this. <laughs> Greetings, exalted one. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, and friend to Captain Solo. I know that you are a powerful and mighty Jabba, and that your anger with Solo must be equally powerful. I seek an audience with your greatness to bargain for Solo's life. With your wisdom, I'm sure that we can work out an arrangement that would be mutually beneficial and enable us to avoid any unpleasant confrontation. As a token of my goodwill, I present to you a gift. These two droids, both are hardworking and will serve you well. <laughs> so someone's gone ahead and kind of broken down down, what is it about this uh, this cover letter, I guess, to Java the Hutt uh, that makes it effective? And kind of point by point, this is what it is. Number one, polite greeting. Greetings, exalted one. Number two, self-introduction. I am Luke Skywalker. Number three, establish credentials, Jedi Knight. Number four, explain how you learned of this opportunity, friend to Captain Solo. Number five, establish purpose. I seek an audience with your greatness to bargain for Solo's life. And number six, show what you can bring to the organization. I present to you a gift. These two droids both are hardworking and will serve you well. Mm, I can't wait for the crossover with Dr. Strange and Dormammu. I've come to bargain. <laughs> exactly. Now, this is obviously a joke, but it honestly demonstrates some good points about this kind of idea of a cover letter or a cold query in keeping it concise and showing what you can offer. So check that one out. But don't pretend to be Luke Skywalker. That's dangerous territory. <laughs> All right. And uh, before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you will get exclusive content opportunities as well as merch. And we can keep producing a great show for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 121. 
And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. And the 2019 Script Pipeline season is now open. Writers can submit by March 1st for a reduced entry fee. The Script Pipeline finalists and winners receive extensive long-term industry exposure, and they have one of the biggest grand prizes for writing worldwide at $50,000. You can learn more at scriptpipeline.com. And if you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Well, next week, we're going to be talking to Des Doyle, who is a filmmaker. He was the director of the Showrunners documentary and runs uh, writing programs for Screen Skills Ireland, uh, teaching them about the U.S. showrunner and TV model. Yeah, it's going to be a great conversation about the way showrunning has influenced the rest of the world and the television writing itself. Yeah, so tune in next week for that. See you then. See you.